On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, Nicole Martin from CHCH joins me to talk about all kinds of things from vaccines to vaccines going to Olympians to not bathing. That's not her or me, but there are people not doing that now to all kinds of stuff, including what would you do if you won 49 million bucks? Would you buy the house that's for sale in Ancaster or is there something else? Lots coming up. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It is Friday. It is time to dive into the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. And we have tried to get my guest tonight on for a long time. However, she is busy. You know why she's busy? Because she's usually on TV, on your news, on your local news, telling us all kinds of stuff. Uh, anyway, today we, we've managed to make arrangements and clear Nicole Martin from her duties so we're glad from CHCH we can finally get Nicole Martin on the show. Nicole, thanks for doing this. Oh, Scott, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here tonight with you. Well, I, and I learned something today as I was going through before coming on that, I mean, everyone knows you're a great journalist, a great broadcaster, but of course, this seems to me so Nicole Martin that when you graduated from journalism school, you were the top in your class. That I, I could have guessed that even before I read that. That's so sweet. You're looking into my history here and... Uh... <laughs> That from school, yes, yes, I was. Some people would call that stalking. We like to just call it researching when it's we're in research. the media. Research, yes, you have yeah. to do your research. We, we have to, but yeah, you really did finish top of your class, didn't you? I did, yes, at Fanshawe. Yeah, it was honestly such a great program too. And right after Fanshawe, I got my my first job at CHCH. But I'm guessing that that was probably not the first time that you finished top of your class. You don't honestly, strike me as no. someone who didn't finish top of your class more than once. I, I promise you, I think aside from communication technologies, maybe in, in high school, no, like Fanshawe, like when I actually went to college after university, that was where I really excelled because it was so hands-on and I knew this was my calling and I really stepped up. My grades definitely followed suit. Really? So in high school, it was all tattoos and lumberjack jackets and bush parties and everything else. And it was only when you got to university that you focused in. You know, if my parents were listening right now, which I think that they are, they'd be laughing pretty hard. They know that's not true. They know that's not true. <laughs> I don't think anyone would guess that. Hey, listen, I got a question for you before we get started here. How eager are you? Because, you, I mean, you, you do the six o'clock news, you're anchoring and you're on at 11. And for 14, 15 months now, every single day, pretty much the lead story has been COVID. How eager are you to never say the word COVID again? Oh. I'm the most eager, Scott, uh, you know, just thinking about vaccines. I know we're going to be talking about that a lot tonight. It's just I'm so excited for things to go back to normal. I think everyone is <laughs> in, in some way or another. And I think my husband's ready for me to be done with COVID, too, because every night I come home and I just regurgitate everything I've been listening to and reading about all day long. So I think my entire household's ready for it to be done. I, for people like you and at the paper, Joanna Frickatich and the mm -hmm. radio station, pretty much everybody in the newsroom, you know, we like to think in the media that we're pretty clever and pretty creative and we find new ways to say, you know, to dress up stories. I, I, 15 months in, how do you dress up a story different every day? That's the same story every day, different numbers, same story after a while. It, I mean, it just, it's, 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 it's almost mind bending how often we've had to talk about this. It's so true. And I know that you've, um, you've dealt with it as well. Um, it, it is, but you know, there's actually, there's new news every single day though. I think what I get most excited about are the vaccine stories when they open up to another age group or another group of the population. I'm like, yes, <laughs> something new, something positive. Let's push that out there today. Cause I'm sure this is really having a, a major impact on everyone's mental health. 
Do you get flack? And I mean, it's obviously not your fault. You didn't bring COVID into Canada, but you know what? As the presenter and TV people are a very familiar face. I mean, your faces are in people's living room. Do you get feedback from people saying enough already? Oh, yeah, I think a definite mix. I think there's some people who have certainly had enough. You know, people come up to us on the street if we're out talking to people or doing a story. They'll let us know how tired they are of hearing about it all the time on the news. But then other people are extremely grateful that they're getting this information and more people are tuning in to the news, reading your stories, I'm sure, because they need that information. They need to know what pertains to them, where they can go and get a vaccine appointment, I think, is the number one thing people want to know. I think even when I'm tweeting something out, that that's the most interaction I get. People asking me questions. Does this apply to Hamilton or is it Halton? Is it Niagara? Where can I go? What can we do? So I think that's that's the promising sign of the news right now. I, I must say I have loved one of the things I have enjoyed about watching you guys is the um, jerry-rigging of your equipment so that the microphone arms now, it's like a game in Survivor where they have to tie the strict sticks together to reach the keys and try not to let the rod bend too much so the microphone dips down. It's hilarious how you guys have tried to jerry-rig everything to make this work. Oh, I know. I was looking through my pictures, even from the start of the pandemic, going through my photo albums. And I remember, I think it was maybe March or April, when everything was really starting and things were shutting down, that was the first poll that we created, the social distancing <laughs> poll to Mike. And I'm out doing streeters on Lock Street trying to get reaction from people. Just the faces that you get, you know, from, what the heck is this? You're coming at me with a poll now, but now it's just completely normal. Everyone's used to it. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the interviewing javelin. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah. Yes, it, 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 it is an odd look. I think we will all be eager to get back to being able to have normal conversations. And then, of course, we saw last week or the week before, not you guys, but I think it was on CNN or somewhere where they were doing an interview with Kamala Harris. And it, it it's reached levels of being ludicrous now. They were in a giant ballroom and it seemed like they were 40 feet apart. And it's like, OK, I, I know you're trying to make a point, but OK, we don't have to do that. I mean, we can do stuff, but we don't have to do that. I know that was, it was a lot. I did see the pictures, watch the video, watch the interview. Uh, even on Morning Live at CH, it's different to see, you know, Bob and Annette are at completely opposite ends of the table now. So I think everyone's eager to get closer together. The evening news is completely different too. Yeah. If there's a sound delay between the time you ask the question and when they hear it, like when you're, you know, way, way, way away from that, you know, you're too far away. Anyway. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We know that there's a million, as we've talked about, there's a million stories going on with COVID and vaccines and everything else. Well, this is a poll that came out this week from uh, from Nanos. They asked people if they were in favor of the idea of requiring proof of vaccination before getting on a plane or a bus or a train or whatever for domestic travel and for attending sports events, concerts, plays, whatever that, I mean, essentially it's the vaccine passport that we've heard talked about minus the border crossing. Is this a good idea? You know what, first of all, Scott, I just want to say it's so exciting that we're even thinking and talking about traveling again, going to concerts, going to sporting events. The fact that discussions are even happening is quite promising. So we're getting closer to this new normal. I think as more people are getting vaccinated, obviously the percentage of Canadians that agree with some sort of vaccine passport or proof is increasing because there was a study in March that showed only 61% of respondents believed that we should have some sort of vaccine proof for parties or events or sporting 
sporting game. So now I think it's over 74, 75%. Yep. There's still 24% that are opposed or somewhat opposed or unsure. I think my question is, would this be temporary? Will it last for just a few years? Obviously, we don't know that yet. And I think that if you were to ask those who are opposed to this, I think that is probably exactly what their opposition for the vast majority of those people would come from is, okay, you want us to carry proof, but is this the first step towards more things like this, where you're going to demand that we have some sort of passport to get around? and Or is this going to be, as you say, very temporary? And I, I don't know how you would prove that you're going to purge the system of all this information in a year or two. But if you could prove that, I think a lot more people would buy in. I think at this point, too, just from listening in to some of the federal government newsers, it doesn't really seem to be a question if it's going to happen. It's more how should they be designed to do this? Uh, I, I think that Health Canada, obviously the CDC as well in the U.S., public health officials, they're obviously stressing the importance of getting vaccinated to help stop the pandemic or at least curve it in some way, that the vaccine's an important tool. So maybe if they're using some sort of vaccine passport or proof, Having people know that it's required to go to concerts, maybe go see a Thai Cats game, it might push those people to go and get a vaccine quite possibly. But yeah, it's still really unclear how long term this will be. I'm only 29. And so this is the only time in, in my lifetime where it, we're even talking about a vaccine passport. Obviously, we haven't been in the pandemic for 100 years. So it would be interesting to see if this would be a recurring thing. Another point that I found was quite interesting, too, was when we're talking about how long the vaccine will uh, provide immunity. That's something that the Public Health Agency of Canada is looking into. The World Health Organization is also looking into. So they're actually saying it might be too soon to even be talking about passports right now or some vaccine proof. Because we don't know. But mm -hmm. this is the, I mean, and again, the, the, the issue that I think the people who are the doubters have, and, and you're right, the number was, uh, right now is I think three quarters, uh, 56 and 18, 56% are fully supporting of a passport or a proof of mm -hmm. something and 18 somewhat support. So that's yeah, 74%. Um, this is the only though, or this would be the only medical thing that you have to prove and people are very, very careful. They don't want their medical information. I mean, we, we fought hard not to have medical information be public. That's your private information. Privacy issues, yeah. And so, you know, no one is saying, hey, look, you have, um, you know, some sort of STD. You got to tell us before you come into our concert. Now, I mean, that's, you know, that's obviously, unless you do something really crazy, that's not going to get passed around. But the point is, you're, we don't we don't demand people's medical information generally for other things. For good reason. And that's been the clear message in the United States from the Biden administration that they will not be supporting vaccine passports, that it will be more of a, a business decision. It, let's just say you're hosting a concert and the organizer of that uh, privatized company wants to see proof of vaccination, then they can do so. But I think the, the federal government in the U.S. is going to be staying out of it. With Trudeau in our Canadian government, They've been very clear that they're going to be following suit with some international partners. We already know the EU started talking about this for international travelers to return even by the summer, possibly Americans who are fully vaccinated. The UK is also looking into this. I think part of it is establishing a common set of principles. Otherwise, I, I do think that there will be confusion, whether it's international travel or domestic travel too, between provinces, territories. 
uh, there needs to be some sort of common set that we're all on board with. Yeah, and if they are going to do this, I, I really do believe they have to come to some sort of, to, to explain how and when this is going to end. Because I, I don't, I think people, you know, look at the numbers. The numbers say people are okay with it now. Five years from now, if COVID is essentially no different than the flu, even if we get our annual shots, no one is demanding a passport if you've got the flu shot. And what? so, you know, if we're down the road and COVID is in the rearview mirror, hopefully, I think people are going to change their tune really fast if this persists and all of a sudden now you've got to have more and more proof of things. People don't want, I really believe people don't want to give up their privacy easily, no matter how governments want to maybe nudge in in certain areas. I think it's it's uh, certainly different than comparing it to the flu in the sense, obviously, higher mortality rates, of course. Uh, in, infection, and then long-term effects too, we don't know. But I think a, a key thing too that the Public Health Agency of Canada is stating is variants of concern. Um, just a quote here from a spokesperson this week that, you know, evidence continues to emerge on whether someone who has received COVID-19 vaccine is still able to transmit the virus. It's also unknown if or when Canada will reach community immunity, so herd immunity, especially in the Mm -hmm. context of the increasing number of infections due to variants of concern. So I think there's a lot of questions up in the air still before they make any formal decision. Yeah, I, I think they will have to guarantee somehow that it gets done and stopped and cleared at some point. Whenever that is, I don't know. But anyway. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We heard this week that Pfizer and BioNTech are going to be donating vaccines to Olympians in order to, I guess, make sure that the Olympics in Tokyo this summer can go off okay. Uh, we, I mean, we know that there are places in the world where vaccines are very available and the Olympians would largely be covered anyway, but we also know there are lots of countries where things are pretty rough and they may not be. This idea is let's make sure that everyone who should be at the Olympics competing can be at the Olympics. But there are people who are saying, wait a second, is this really the priority? What do you think about this idea? Oh, it's, it's quite the divisive topic. I mean, it sounds as though the Olympics are going ahead regardless. It's happening. So do you look at the safety of the athletes and the coaches and the staff that all have to be there? Not only that, but the Japanese community, too, and, and throughout Tokyo. But you see the images and the videos from India, the dire situations that are happening in countries around the world where there are vaccine shortages and you're left wondering, you know, if Pfizer-BioNTech has extra supply and they're able to make this arrangement with the IOC to provide vaccines for athletes and staff and coaches, do they have extra supply for the World Health Organization? Do they have extra supply that we could be sending to hard-hit nations? It is certainly a question. Yeah, and and the number of people that will be done with the Olympics is in the thousands. So, you know, it, like it's not quite the same. For, I mean, I guess for those saying, well, you know, look at India. Yes, look at India. Absolutely look at India, what's happening there. But it's not like they're saying we're going to donate so many to Olympians that we could cover all of India. That said, it's still, I think, one of those things that people are, are getting you know, fighting on both sides about saying, okay, even 10,000 to India would be better than going to Olympians. I I don't know. I I think that a lot of people may have a different opinion come July when the Olympics are on TV and they're thankful they're able to watch the Olympics. I mean, it's bread and circuses. I understand that, but 
I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know where I would go with this if I was those two companies. I think it's, it is interesting that Pfizer has stated that the vaccines are not coming out of any allocations to countries. But I think it is a question of how important are the Olympic Games versus ramping up the vaccine efforts, regardless whether if it's 15 or 20,000. Okay, that could be a small community that you vaccinate that could be extremely hard hit. Um, I think at the end of the day, though, knowing that the games are going ahead, despite some pushback from the Japanese people, if everyone's vaccinated or not, will have an impact in that sense. Uh, everything should be done to protect the people who are attending. But not only that, the community members, I believe I read a, a study this morning saying that Japan's only vaccinated one or two percent of its entire population. So you do have to worry about the people who are in these communities where the Olympic Games are being held. Yeah, and we don't really know. I mean, it's really unclear right now still how this is going to work in Japan. Mm-hmm. There's no foreign tourists who are able to come over and watch as fans. So you've got that eliminated. But it's really unclear, A, about how many Japanese fans will be able to attend, and B, whether the Olympic athletes will in any way be able to be out in Tokyo or in seeing the sites, or if they are going to be basically in lockdown in the athletes' village, which I think also changes this somewhat if they are going to be just you know in their own little world and not around anyone else do you need these donations the same way i don't know i mean you're you're still going to have people coming from other countries that could be bringing it so you still want them protected oh you're right and the ioc has actually said as well that even the athletes who are fully vaccinated after this initiative there's not going to be any special privileges for them it will be the same sort of bubble and testing and mask wearing there's nothing that will change in that sense i guess aside from the vaccine situation there is the question of why are the games continuing um there was a poll in japan that found 80 percent of citizens wanted the olympics canceled because you mentioned too is you're not going to have the tourists you're not going to have the economic uplift that a normal olympics would bring instead they're losing so much money well i'll tell you why the olympics are going ahead because Mm -hmm. the original cost was supposed to be something like seven or eight billion dollars and now it's closer to 25 billion dollars uh, you, I don't think we need any other explanation. If Canada had spent $25 billion mm-hmm. for it's an happening. Olympics, we're darn well holding the Olympics. Um, you know, and, and so, I mean, there's that. And, you know, I mean, the US TV carries great weight. NBC puts a mm-hmm. fortune into this. What about though mm-hmm. Pfizer and BioNTech? Because, I mean, I'm positive that when they sat down in their meetings and said, hey, I got a great idea. Let's donate some of our supply to Olympians. This is going to be fantastic PR for us. Is this turning out to be fantastic PR for them or is this blowing up in their face? I think it depends on where you stand with the Olympics. I think that if the people who are happy that it's going ahead and, and they can't wait to watch or participate, I'm, I'm sure that they are really happy with this announcement from Pfizer BioNTech and the IOC. But there are already Olympic athletes, specifically Canadian Olympic athletes, who have said, listen, we understand why people would be upset with this decision as well. Like we've mentioned already, seeing some of the images around the world and knowing that there's vaccine shortages, there's there's little vaccinations happening in some of these countries. So it brings in to the question about equity. Why is it fair that certain people have access and others do not? Mm. Just because there may be an athlete or a staff member or a coach that can go over to the Olympics. 
So I don't know. I, I think Pfizer maybe thought this was going to be great PR, but in a sense, it, it is, I think, a bit of a backlash from from people in the world. Uh, yeah, I think that we got to go to a break here. I think that it is right now, but as I said, I think when July rolls around, one thing we know is that even people who aren't necessarily huge sports fans watch the Olympics. And I think when July rolls around, if these games can go off, even if there's nobody in the stands and people have a show to watch for two and a half weeks in the middle of July, and then at some point people can credit Pfizer and BioNTech with that, I think they're going to go, oh, that was a good idea. Right, certainly we'll uplifting, yeah. We'll see. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Nicole, we read, we learned in the last few days that Ontario is considering offering an online education option for students, high school, elementary students going forward after this year. We don't really know if this is permanent. We don't know if this is a temporary thing. I mean, a lot of people jumping to a lot of conclusions, but do you like the idea of whether it's temporary or not? Let's say, let's just assume that this becomes a full-time thing, that you have the option as a parent, as a student, to do some or all of your courses online. Do you like that idea? Oh, I mean, personally, I don't have kids, Scott. I don't know if, if you have any kids who are in high school or elementary school. Right Been now. there, done I, that. Yep. I don't like this idea very much personally. I've seen some of my colleagues and talked with them about it who have kids. And it is not easy. It is not easy doing this homeschooling, online learning. Not only can, you know, your Wi-Fi be shoddy at times, but you pretty much have to be home and helping them through it, especially the younger ones. I get that this is going to be more of a choice, but is the choice a fair one for all in Ontario? And I think that's what a lot of the teachers unions, all of them have said this week is that this is not an equitable decision for, for all of Ontario. There's a lot of families who would not have that choice and would have to send their kid back, let's just say, mm-hmm. because they don't have the Wi-Fi, they don't have the time and the energy to be helping them. They might all have jobs that they cannot work remotely. Um, so I don't know if this is really the right solution to it. Hearing from different professors talking about it this week, obviously teachers and the unions and, and parents that have been interviewed too, I don't see this being the best decision for all. I'll tell you one reason I do like it, and it's it's a it's a specific thing. And we've had people on this show talking about it before. I would never have thought of this before. But if you are from a smaller town, a smaller area where your, you know, your school, your high school doesn't have fifteen hundred or two thousand students, it might have three hundred students. They may not offer every course because they don't have the opportunity with the size. So you want to take a specific course that's offered in downtown Toronto, but not in wherever. The idea that you could jump on to a remote class and take that class seems to me to be a really good idea. Now, I mean, how often that if, how often that becomes the thing we're talking about, or do we just broaden it that everyone doesn't like it because, well, we're going to cut teachers now if people are staying home or this or that or the other. But I mean, I, I can see some positives. We have, we have students already that do homeschooling. Well, is this not kind of homeschooling, only you have the education system involved in it then? Um Certainly, but I I think one interesting bit that maybe hasn't been looked at enough yet, uh, I would like to see how students have either progressed or almost deteriorated with online learning. How have their marks been? How is their uh, mental health? 
all of their social skills. I don't That's know if that one. has been looked at right at this point because this has been really just less than a year of being online and learning remotely. If it's one course that you can do, I don't see any issue with that either. I know even when I went to Waterdown High, there were issues because class sizes were too large and I wasn't able to get into a couple of classes that I really needed to take for university credits. So I did resort to taking courses online. Um, I don't I don't know if this is the best option, though. Could there be another solution to this issue? Yeah, I mean, look, you've just touched on one, though, that is huge. I mean, leave out the education side for a second, and that's the social side of this, and we don't know. I mean, we're, we are going to have, I am convinced of this, Nicole, that we are going to have in a year or two or three a giant Petri dish of an experiment because we're going to have a whole cohort of students who went through the last year or so and we have, I don't think we've ever done this before, certainly not in our generation or the last few generations where we've basically said, stay away from your friends, don't socialize or only socialize online. We've never done this. Exactly. I think there are unintended risks in staying with remote learning. At the one press conference this week with all of the teachers unions, that was what was said. What about extracurriculars, school counselors, programming? Not only that, but lunch breaks and meals. We know even in Hamilton, there are a thousand children with limited access to food. So there are different ways that the school system helps out, regardless of just the learning aspect in class that would be missing if you're just online permanently. I'll say one other thing that I do like about it. And I I acknowledge the the challenges here. Like I I am not sold on this. I am really torn on a whole lot of this. Mm -hmm. The one other thing that I like the idea for, although it's not what we're really talking about is, look, you get a kid who's got some illness that is, they shouldn't be around other students, but they don't, they're, they're well enough. They could go. They don't want to pass something. They've got the, a cold or something. If you could have a centralized course, I mean, I don't know how you do this, where kids who are away can still keep up with their school rather than falling behind for a week or two. I like that. I don't know how you would possibly do that. You know, because every kid who misses some time, how do you know where they are in their course? I mean, I'm throwing out ideas here, but I like the idea that you can, just because you're away from school, you don't have to helplessly fall behind. I just don't know how you would do that. Exactly. Unless they're streaming the course as it's going from beginning to end. And so you can jump in on a Zoom call while you're at home sick for a day. I think that there are ways that this is opening up new horizons of looking at school. But I think that you have to factor in mental health is a big one for ch- for children and then their development. For sure. For yeah. sure. And, and you know, th- the other side of this is, and we do have to take a break. The other side of this is everything else in society is going to online in some form or another. I do think it's unreasonable that we say school can do no online. We absolutely have to draw a line and say nothing can be online. I think that's unreasonable in 2021. But does it mean full-time online? Does it, uh, who knows? Who knows? But uh, I do think we have to be willing to be with the time and moving forward. I think However willing that to means. also ensure Wi-Fi is available for all yep. students and children across the province. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Lately, have you noticed when you're at the CHCH studios and getting ready, has there been a new because it hasn't been there forever has there been a a a waft of bo around the studio no all right i'm just asking no No, i i i don't i don't know anything about this i'm not (laughs) suggesting but i'm asking this because there are surveys being done that show that with covid happening many people are 
deciding they don't need to shower as often. This is no longer, you know, we're, we're retraining ourselves. 17% of people in Britain say, yeah, I'm not doing a shower every day now. I don't need that. And I'm looking at this going, I hope those are the 17% that are at least staying home as opposed to going out in public. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Does it break it down in the study of who's staying home and who's going to work? I, I could only hope they're just at home and by themselves. Well, except here's the thing. Now, yes and no, but many of the people who were quoted or were polled in this survey said a large number of them, it's their teenage children who are saying, I don't need to be showering. And I'm like, wait a second, of all the people who need to be showering, teenage boys especially need to be, you stink, shower, but they're not. And I'm looking at this going, I really hope that this is only a COVID phenomenon that we haven't retrained ourselves so that when this is done, people think, you know, people can deal with a little freshness. They can handle me. It's also a sign of mental health struggles too, is it not? When when people are lacking hygiene and maybe people are stressed, back to it's being mental health. learning. Maybe that's part of the reason. They're just it's going to be mental health struggles for those around them, let me tell you. Well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But no, I, I'm happy to report that my double mask <laughs> wearing within CHCH, I cannot smell anyone. Maybe that's it. Maybe they are. You just don't smell it because you're so masked up that when when you take that mask off, when they finally say, Nicole, it's clear you can take your mask off. You're going to be ooh, who was here? Exactly it. That's it. That is it. But luckily, you know, Phil Perkins is away from me in the studio when I'm around people. (laughs) So I don't get any sort of wafting of anyone, I don't think. So everyone's smelling pretty good. (laughs) All right. So we're not going to be renaming him Stinky Phil for the the record here. No, no, not at all. But I just, I'm amazed, and maybe I shouldn't be, but of all the things that I kind of thought would go by the wayside, one thing I just didn't expect people to do was to slack on the hygiene. I thought maybe they would slack on the exercise or, and they would stay, I mean, of all the things we would change in our routine, I don't know. I just, I never thought that people would suddenly say, it's okay not to smell good. Listen, exactly. Slack on the exercise, maybe the healthy eating. I'm definitely eating a few bags of popcorn each night. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that. But yeah, hygiene, I think people need to keep up with that. Now, there are, here's the thing. There are doctors and others who are saying, you know, this is a really good thing. And we should make this part of our normal habit because your body has oils that you need to allow to do what they do. And, and, you know, yesterday or the day before on the show, we were talking to an allergist who says we're too clean. And that may be part of the reason kids have more peanut and other allergies now over the long term. And so there are doctors saying this would be really good if we maintained this. And I'm thinking, yeah, but you probably as a doctor can work in your own lab by yourself, not around human beings. Well, and how many days are we talking here? Multiple? You mean how many days are they not bathing? Yeah, not, not, yeah, exactly. It's not, they're not suggesting that these people have sworn off bathing permanently now and are never bathing, but even so, even if it's every second day or every third day, even I'm not asking for names. I can tell you that it's happened for me. We don't have to name names, but you know, we know who the people are who miss those second or third day showers and then come into work. We've all had it before. Yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, as much as it may be healthy, I think there are some areas of our health that we don't need to encourage. This being one of them. (laughs) I don't know. So so doctors are saying, some doctors are saying this is okay. 
Washing, here's from the New York Times. A washing with soap every day can strip the skin of its natural oils and feel it leaving dry. Uh, doctors are still saying you should wash your hands regularly. You know, we've heard that how many times over the last number of months and year oh, with yeah. COVID. But, you know, and and uh, look, I know I, I certainly don't have the problem. I, I have nothing on top of my head. I'm bald. But it, we hear from a lot of women, especially, who say, you know, it's it's good not to wash your hair every day because you, you dry it out. You got to let some of those oils and stuff work. I don't know. I, I don't know what they're talking about. Well, it's no, out of my... what I was going to mention, actually, is hairstylists do say you don't want to wash and shampoo and condition your hair every single day. That's something to leave out. But bathing, I think that's a different story, maybe. And the thing about this, and not to give a history lesson, but again, this New York Times article is really interesting, and they point out that, you know, we haven't always been this way. The, the daily showers are a relatively modern phenomenon, and they clearly, they they come, they started once modern plumbing, it probably in the early 1900s, became very commonplace, and everyone could do this, because, have you, I mean, you surely heard those stories before, of the people who, you know, the family would have a bath and they would all share the same bath water and the oldest would get it when it was warm. And by the time you get to the kid, it's black and cold. Um, right. It's gross. But I mean, that's, you know, bathing was not everyday behavior for every generation going back in time. Yeah, Thankfully, it is now. In different cultures, too. Everywhere around the world, I think, is different. I think in North America, we're pretty used to having people shower every day. Um yeah, this is this is news to me, Scott. This is news to me. You're enlightening me, and now you know if I didn't have two masks on, maybe I'd be on the lookout at work. But well, here's this. Here's the thing. When we watch you, we got to go to the news break here. When we watch, so we're going to set a signal here. So if Nicole tugs on her earlobe at any <laughs> point in the news, that is the sign. Anyone listening, that is the sign that whoever she's sharing the anchor desk with skipped their shower that day and just is ripe. So if you see oh. her tug on her earlobe. That tells you, oh, I was listening to the Scott Radley show, and that's our cue. This person is now part of the New York Times study. You've got me now. I'm going to be too scared to even go anywhere near my ear, just in case people are watching. I can't tuck my hair. I can't do anything. My hands are going to be on my desk. That's it. <laughs> yeah, poor whoever it is when you forget and you just scratch your earlobe, and everyone's going, oh, man. Didn't Ooh, think they be would be the one to skip. Yep. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Nicole, before we get going, uh, we've had a number of people calling in asking if you have any information or any update on Bubba O'Neill, who has been, uh, everyone knows, has been laid up with COVID. Have you, do you know anything that you can share with how he's doing? Oh, uh, first of all, I think we're all just so happy that Bubba is getting better from the last we heard from our boss. He's out of the hospital now, which is just great news. Uh, I don't know if you know any more, Scott, because I know the two of you are pretty close. But I, we've all been praying for him. And the other colleague, too, of mine, who who's also was homesick, this hit really close to home. I know we've been talking about it and reporting on COVID for over a year now. But this is, I think, the first experience for many of us with a COVID case, two COVID cases mm. in, the, in the news station. But luckily, from what we're hearing, he is he's recovering at home. Good. Good news. Great news. Uh, that is fantastic. Um well, you know what, and that's probably a bad, well, it's going to be a bad memory for him, certainly. Yeah. It's a bad memory for people who know him, and I'm trying to segue into this story that I want to ask you about. And I've looked this up because at first I thought, okay, this story is so ludicrous that it's fake, but there are other reports about a similar thing. So we're going to assume, we're not going to talk about the science here. We're going to talk about the concept, and the, 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 the story is that 
they have now figured out a way, the part of your brain that allows you to hold memories. And so there's, they're saying that people with PTSD or other unhappy memories, we could potentially now use technology to help eliminate your unhappy or sad memories and get rid of that part of your life so that you don't have those anymore. Now, again, we're not getting into the science of this, whether or not this ever happens is not the issue here. What I want to ask you is if you had the chance, if this was real and it didn't do other peripheral damage or anything else, would Nicole Martin want to get rid of all the unfortunate, sad, unhappy memories in her life? Or do you hold on to those because those still have value to you? What a question, Scott. I was actually thinking, oh man, that Greek mythology question, that one's too tricky for me, but I think this one's even harder. Um, I, I would say no, I would hold on to every memory. I think every life experience that we have shapes us in one way or another. And I don't think anyone has an easy life. Let's just say there's things that have happened in everyone's lives that you might think at the time, oh, I wish I I never had this happen to me, or I wish I could erase this from my mind. But I think in the end, some memories as tough as they could be make us stronger and, and shape who we are today. So I think personally, on a personal note, I wouldn't want to erase any memories. But what about you? Would you? Well, I see. No, I feel the same way. And, and I, for the exact same reason, I think that you, you only become the person you are by going through bad stuff as well as good stuff. I mean, look, almost everything that I do well through work, assuming I do some things well through work, almost everything I do well, I only do well because I screwed it up so many times before and learned my lesson. So those exactly, bad things. Yes taught me something about how to do good things. And that's just with work. And so I look at it and I go, yeah, but if you take away all of someone's bad memories or unhappy memories, there's two problems with that. One is what I just said. The other is if you don't have any comparison between bad and good, the good things don't mean anything anymore. If if you don't have bad to compare good to, Good is just normal. It doesn't mean anything. You need to have that bad memory. So when you do have a good memory, you go, wow, that's really great. Yeah, I I think that's a fantastic point to make. I I think that if we start erasing memories, it becomes a crutch as well. Let's just say you just use this as a, a way to cope throughout the rest of your life and you're not able to take on maybe deeper experiences or challenging times. Yeah, like even from a work perspective, no one is perfect. And I know that I had a few live hits that I wish I could actually erase. But at the same time, I would not because you have to look back at those mistakes and grow from them. Now, that said, I, I don't know about you. I have never had that I can think of something in my life so wildly traumatic. I've never, you know, been there and seen someone killed in front of me or you know, I've never been a soldier in war who watched someone be blown up on a mine or some, you know, some horrible, horrible thing. So m- maybe for that, and and I, you know, that's not really my place to to say because I my 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 thought would be still that still is part of who you are, but I, I you know that may be too cliche or too throwaway to say yeah, but you've never been there, so how can you say that? I I don't know in those circumstances. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if it's used as a way to treat different illnesses or disorders, like PTSD, for example. If you have post-traumatic stress that. disorder, yeah, or a drug addiction, maybe. 
a way to erase those memories. That's fascinating what you just said. I never thought about that. That if, if people, if we assume that some people who get addicted to whatever are doing it to cover up for some horrible part of their life, that's mm-hmm. not everybody, but we know those stories exist. Could that's a that's a really interesting twist on it that I'd never thought of that maybe it's a positive way to do this. That would be, I think, one of the only positives I can think of, or like you're saying as well, some, an experience that hopefully I would never have to go through in witnessing something extremely traumatic. But again, PTSD, that would, that could cover cover that. Yeah, I just, as I said, when I saw this story, and it, it's just one of those great philosophical questions, and I thought to myself, mm-hmm. I, I tend to think that we in our society now, and again, this is a blanket statement, I don't mean it to be a blanket statement, but very often we look for the easiest possible way to do things now. We, we, we look for the out, we look for, not always, but we look for the easy way. And this sounds to me like the easy way to deal with something, but I think it's that law of unintended consequences. If you take away all of your bad memories, there are consequences that you will have by not having those anymore. Definitely. I I agree. It could be an easy way out. I think that in this day and age, especially as we're talking more about mental health and there's more services and programs available to people, I think that making sure that is public knowledge and we erase the stigma around it, it's how do you how do you handle these memories that you have in, in safe ways where you can grow from them? I think erasing um, them might be the wrong, wrong way of doing it. Well, and, and, and again, I mean, maybe, maybe we're overlooking something. I mean, you, you pointed to addiction. That's a, that's a really interesting application potentially for people who are suicidal. Could you yeah. potentially use this? I mean, th- th- I suppose there could be positive ways. I like so many other things that science dips its toe into and finds a good application. I just always think, okay, but what are the spinoffs here? How's it going to be misused? Because I think in almost everything that we create to help people, there's a way that also can hurt people. And too often we're human. We find those very, very quickly. This is such an intriguing topic, Scott. I think I'm going to, as a reporter, I'm now going to spend the rest of my evening researching this. I kind of want to know the science behind it. How are they doing this, if it's possible? It is, uh, let me see if I can find, it's a, a, um, it targets parts of your brain through uh, an electromagnet similar to an MRI scanner. Uh, it's really complicated. And again, I'm, as far as the science goes, I don't, I don't even know that this is something that's possible, although I should probably not be too doubtful because they always find things that I always look and go, wow, they can do that now. I mean, they, back when I was in, I don't know, university or high school, they were cloning Dolly the goat. And at that point I thought, well, that's the most unbelievable thing ever. Well, you know, every day since then there's been something unbelievable. So who knows, but it's more the philosophy, more the the big question about this that uh, that I was diving into. Speaking of big questions, Nicole, this may be the biggest question of the day. You, I'm sure, are aware that if you drive along Garner Road towards Fiddler's Green in Ancaster, I'm sure you've yeah. done this over your life, there is a home off to the side of the road. Most people have driven by at one time or other, an enormous mansion on a massive bit of property that has gone up for sale in the last week or two or three. $49 million. $49 million. Ooh. I mean, it's now it doesn't have a pool, so I don't know if it's a, you know, if it's good for everybody, but um, <laughs> if you had $49 million and I know that, you know, with CHCH salaries, they, they cap you at 45. So you're just under that. But if I'm you had 40, short, Scott, I'm just, just short. short on this house. 
But if you had 49 million bucks, would you buy a house like that, that one or something else? What would you buy with $49 million? Wow. What would I buy with 49 million? What would you do with 49 million bucks? You can't invest. You can't donate. You can't give it. You have to buy something. No, no. Make sure this is. You can do anything you want. I've just handed. I'm not. Just for the record, this is air quotes and uh, no legal document attached. (laughs) I'm handing you 49 million dollars. What are you doing with it? Wow. I I would have to donate most of it. That's for sure. Um, Do something nice for my family. Maybe go on a nice vacation from with the whole family once COVID's done. Something to celebrate the end of this pandemic. Uh, I'm I'm really happy. I'm very content. So I can't really think of material things that I would want to buy. I think I I would really want to use it to give back to the community. Have you ever done that though, Nicole, not, not spent $49 million, but when you hear, cause you do, I mean, you're doing these stories in the news and I'm sure at one time or another, you've had a story that you've had to read about in the States. I think there was a lottery at one time where the, the yeah. winning prize, it was a super Powerball or something for $2 billion where somebody won it. I mean, when you hear these unbelievably un, I mean, just ridiculous amounts, have you ever gone home afterwards and been lying in bed or whatever else thinking, what would I do if I got that kind of money? Well, that's, I, I think about it all the time. I think about the billionaires that are out there. <laughs> what do they do every day? What, how do they spend all of their money? Do, do you go and buy an island with that kind of money? I don't know. I, I just can't even fathom it. I, I can't imagine having that much money. I, it, and I would personally, I would just feel guilty having so much money like in, in that sense. I would, I would have to give most of it back. <laughs> And do something nice for the people who have supported me and, and have helped me in life. I think that would be the only way I could, I could have that much money and feel okay about it. See, because I think most people have played this game. When they've yeah. heard about someone who comes into enormous money, they've thought about this, not ever expecting it. But, um, you know, like, uh, I don't know which athlete it was. It was a while ago. And somebody signed a contract for $30 million a year. And I played this game. And I was like, okay, I got $30 million a year. And I got five-year contract. And what would I do with that? You know, it was, it was a George Springer with the Blue Jays. And I'm thinking about this thinking, okay, so I'm going to buy, you know, if I was into this kind of thing, I'm going to buy a house for 5 million bucks. All right. That's that's a pretty nice house. Even, you know, even with the market, 5 million bucks and I get a couple cars and I'll buy a cottage and that'll cost me another mill and I'll buy a boat. And, and I thought of like, literally in crazy world, I thought of everything that I could possibly want. Yes. And possibly, possibly think to get, and I don't know that I hit 30 million. And then the next year they hand you another 30 million bucks. I'm like, well, now what do I do? Exactly. Yeah. And that's only, and that's only 30 million a year. Now you're Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or whomever else. And you're Elon making that Musk, much in a day. Yeah. <laughs> Elon Musk. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you know I don't know. That's nice to have some sort of summer home or maybe like a vacation home or something. That would be beautiful. But again, yet you're not reaching that full amount of money you're earning each year as a professional baseball player or as a multi-billionaire running Tesla and SpaceX. You're not, you're, I don't even know what you would do with all that money. But reinvest you know, you, and keep, keep inventing. <laughs> well, yeah. And you said it already. And, and like, I'm not saying this just to sound like a good guy. And I know you didn't say it just to sound like yeah. a nice person. Uh, you know, m- my thought as I was playing this game was, yeah, you know what? You can give, you could make an enormous difference in a lot of people's lives with this kind of money. I mean, look, if you, if you got $30 million a year and you said, I think I can live very comfortably on two, 
$2 million a year. And I know you can live very comfortably on $2 million a year. That's even probably too much, but that leaves, what could I do with 28 million other dollars? If I was deciding that I was going to help other people, it's, it's, it's unbelievable what you could do with that. It is unbelievable. That's for sure. I think high school me, I could come up with a million ways to spend. But <laughs> Nicole now, Nicole now, and especially, you know, like working in Hamilton and being in the community and seeing there are people in need who need some help, you know, absolutely. If I had that kind of money, that's what I would do. What would high school Nicole have bought? High school Nicole? Oh, yacht, Scott. I think I would have <laughs> definitely a mansion, but no, not, not the Nicole today. <laughs> Well, Nicole today understands that if you buy all that stuff, you got to take care of it and pay insurance and pay upkeep and everything. We never think about that when you're a kid. It's just, oh, buy the yacht. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly Buy the Lamborghini. Every time I thought, now again, not in the ballpark, not in the financial strata to afford this, but any time that I've ever had a moment of thought that, you know what I'd love to get? I'd love to get a Lamborghini. I think that would be awesome. I always go on YouTube and watch the videos of the idiots who own those cars, smashing them up because they don't know how to drive them. And it just, it makes me somehow think, yeah, you know, that would be me. I would just crash my Lamborghini almost immediately. And then I would feel like an idiot. So I'm not going to buy one. You know what? I'll let you in on a bit of a secret. I have no idea how to drive a standard car. So I don't think I could ever, unless a sports car can come in automatic, I don't think it's for me anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do. I learned. <laughs> I, I do, but the the, stand, the stick shift car that I drove once upon a time was a Toyota Tercel that had about a one liter engine, not one that's got 12 or 16 cylinders. And if I touch the gas pedal, will take off. I, I, I'm reasonably sure I would make a mess of that one, but no, I'm not going to have to worry about it because like you, um, at this point, CHML and the spectator have not yet raised my income to the level where I can buy a Lamborghini or a $49 million home, but fingers crossed, you know, next, maybe, next round of negotiations. Yeah, maybe we'll see. Hey, just before we go, uh, Sunday is mother's day. What do you do? What's, what's the best gift for them? I'm, I'm catching you cold here. Now is your, is your mom still with us? She is absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, so I'm sure she's listening. So we don't want to give away exactly what you're going to get, but what's the ideal mother's day gift these days? So I think my mom is different. She's, she's definitely different. She's, she's the type of person who doesn't make a big deal about mother's day. She, she doesn't care, but we're obviously going to get her a little something. We're going to maybe go for a walk or do something at a distance with her. It, it's my grandma that absolutely loves Mother's Day. So we definitely are sending her some flowers, a nice card. Um, I think it's the thoughtful things that they really care about. You know, like a, a nice picture frame with a, with a special memory, a picture in it, a nice thoughtful note. We used to do coupons, actually, for my mom. You know, we'll, we'll wash the car. We'll do all the laundry. This is when I was still living with them. Just different things like that that are obviously cost effective but also extremely thoughtful until i had kids and saw my wife with them especially when they were very little i used to think those kids those people that came up with that thing where i'm gonna just draw a painting for mom for mother's day i was thinking that's the most giant stupid cop out of all time that's just dad looking to save a few bucks and then i saw them give these to mom 
And it was like, wow, that, it, you know what you just said? It's, it's really true. Like, I know there's some mothers out there that say, no, that's still a cop out. Give me something expensive. But for the I most of gift. them, I want a gift. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> I, for, but for most of them, I was, you know, I'm amazed when, when you, now I, I know for real now it's, they really are. You, you paint them a, a little finger painting that's horrendously ugly, but they can put up on the fridge and it's from them and it says, I love you. And that's, you know what? I, I, I learned my lesson that it, it's legit. Oh, yeah. I know. My mom used to have an entire closet full of artwork from both me and my little sister. That's what we did all the time on Mother's Day. We'd do little mm. little paintings and artwork for her. She loves that. I think that's what she looks forward to the most. Just something thoughtful. In our In our basement, we still have bags of our kids' stuff from when they were very young. And this is a problem. And I bet you that I'm not, I bet you I'm speaking for a lot of other people. I'm sure I am when you go, well, you, you, it's taken up a lot of space, but how do you possibly get rid of it? You can't, if you're throwing it out, you're essentially, you're thinking I'm throwing out my children's childhood and their love for us. You know, you can't Aww. do that. So now, yeah. So now you got, okay, well, we're going to have garbage bags full of kids stuff until we go and then they can figure out what to do with it. And that's their problem. <laughs> that's oh, their problem. Me, my then. Dad, during this pandemic, my dad has reorganized our furnace room, I think two, if not three times and has called me up has sent me photos. Should we keep this? Should we throw this out? He still has everything. Well, your dad now he has time because I know that he was inoculated live on TV. Yes. So he, I mean, he's good to go. Oh, that was probably one of the happiest days this year, just to see it, because I got to go in with him, and it was fantastic. Oh, what great news. Nicole Martin, you were fantastic. We are definitely not going to allow you to go another years and years without coming on again. We really, I really appreciate you coming on and talking today. You were fantastic, and uh, we will do this again soon. Awesome. Scott, a big thank you for having me on tonight, and your incredibly kind staff, too. Thank you so much for all you do, Scott. Very good. That is Nicole Martin. You can watch her on, not tonight on CHH. That's why we were able to get her on the show because she's not doing the news today, but you can watch her all the time. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode and also be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.